Welcome in to From the Sidelines with Jessica and Brienne, where we talk all things sports in our lives in the sports industry. Episode two, and everyone is here ready to go. And yes, we have one more person joining us today. Brienne, how are We're you making doing? It. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, JP? It's nice to meet you. I'm Brienne. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice to meet you over the podcast. I guess in I the know. podcast world, you can still say, um, nice to meet you. <laughs> I think yeah, so. I feel like you have to have an introduction of some sort. Yeah. Okay, guys. So, yes, today we have with us J.P. Hornstra, who has quite an introduction. I kind of made a list of bullet points to kind of rattle off so you guys will know who he is. He's a sports writer for the Southern California News Group which has too many newspapers in their group to name all of them off. <laughs> He's a regular panelist on Access Sportsnet and Sportsnet LA. He has appeared on SportsCenter and Outside the Lines, and he is also a published author. JP, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. So I was going to kind of go in of how we know each other. We don't technically know each other, but... I wish that I could say you follow me on Twitter because I'm a good follow on Twitter, but I know that's not the case. I know that you follow me because of Matt. At least I'm assuming that's why. It doesn't matter how we got to this point. The important thing <laughs> is that I follow you. That's fair. Yes, and I appreciate it. But you do cover the Dodgers with the Southern California News Group, right? That's correct. A lot of Dodgers, some Angels, and I have a weekly Major League Baseball-wide column. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, cool. How did you get it? Oh, sorry, I'm probably jumping ahead, but, like, I guess just, are you from California? I am. I'm originally okay. from the Bay Area, and I moved down to L.A. for college, and then I moved back, and then I moved back again for work. So I'm in L.A. Right. right now. Very cool. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk about, because with this podcast, you know, Brian and I, we've only had one episode, but kind of wanted, what we want to incorporate in the podcast is just talking about our journeys in sports and then just sports journalism in general and kind of what it's like. So what I love about looking on your website, it says that you were a musician, a substitute teacher, a grocery bagger, and now you're kind of doing all of these things. So kind of what was your story or how did you get to the point where you are right now? I usually put grocery bagger at the top of the resume. So that was interesting <laughs> that you listed it third. No, um, <laughs> uh, that was, that was just a part-time job. I, um, I didn't actually major in journalism. I went to a community college called De Anza College up in Cupertino, California. Lived at home, did the commute thing for two years. And then I transferred to UCLA, where I also did not major in journalism. <laughs> um, the UCs, I don't know if you all know this, they don't have journalism majors at the University of California. Um, oh, so really? I majored, yeah. You have to go to like a Cal State, so like Cal State Fullerton, for example, Fresno, San Jose State, etc. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, those were originally started as trade schools, and so there you could be like a journalist or a teacher or whatnot. Anyway, uh, UCLA majored in psychology, uh, graduated on time, which is the big thing, um, 
played in a band on the side. That's the musician part. And wait, wait, wait. What was the band name? Uh, AFB. Which stands for what? So this is going to require a small explanation of its own. Um, <laughs> AFB stood for Asian Fetish Brigade because our lead singer was an Asian woman who really wanted to be in a band called Asian Fetish Brigade. So, all right. Um, yeah, the uh, four white guys who were backing her up on the instruments usually took a lot of heat for that, but it actually was not our idea, any of us. Um, that was her idea. No, oh, we, it, yeah, if you Google Asian Fetish Brigade, first of all, make sure you're not on a work computer. That could get you <laughs> in trouble. Um, but you can find some random songs that we've recorded. We oh, haven't I'm recorded definitely. a thing in like 12 years, so. <laughs> what instrument did you play? Piano. Oh. Oh, okay, fun fact about me. So I used to take piano lessons, like starting in elementary school all the way through middle school and my great-grandparents paid for my lessons they had a piano in their house that I would go over to and practice but right now if I sat down at a piano I couldn't play anything I feel like you you're either musically inclined or (laughs) you're not and I could obviously memorize because we had recitals and I could memorize the songs that the song that I was supposed to play but Mm -hmm. I can't read the notes, if that makes sense. So I just always say that I'm not musically inclined, but I wish maybe when I was younger, I would have tried harder. (laughs) I think it's like any skill. You just got to practice it from time to time to keep it up. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the band did not get signed and did (laughs) not make it big. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm... Stuck being a lousy sports writer. <laughs> and where did the substitute teaching come in? <laughs> the substitute teaching came in because my first job out of college was at a small town newspaper in a town called Vallejo, California, which was a little more than an hour away from where I grew up in the Bay Area. And it was kind of weird. I would work 10 hours a day, four days a week. So I would have three days off every week. And I also had rent to pay. So (laughs) some of those three days, I often would take um, weekdays off, work on the weekends, and just substitute teach on my days off. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, What we did, so my first out of school, too, and I talked about this on the first episode, was at small town newspapers. Obviously, they're probably doing not as good as they were, JP, than the newspapers that you first started at. But with mine, I pretty much, there wasn't necessarily such thing as as overtime. I basically just had to work as much as I could to get everything for the two papers finished and I was the only full-time reporter so that was almost everything so but I would babysit on the weekends usually if I had the free time just to make a little extra money so I understand but that's a good strategy by you to shift some of your workload on the weekend so you could substitute teach during the week substitute teaching too i don't know how it was for you babysitting but like you could really control how often you worked and that was kind of awesome 
Like, if you didn't want to sub that week, you didn't have to. And if you really needed the money that week, you could just stack three days in a row and get them play. And it was great. Man, that is nice. And especially, I mean, I don't know, but in, I know in sports, like, it's so unique. If you're going to do another job, because I know a lot of people who did at my first TV station I was at, it had to be flexible because you'd get called in. You're like, nope, got to go cover this, got to do that. Like, well, yeah. can't work my extra job today. Media is so different from, like, the real world. Yes. <laughs> and people who don't do it have a hard time. Like, I've explained it to multiple friends many times and they still like don't quite grasp it because if you're not in it you know you don't understand it's, it's just different because it's not a nine to five monday right. through friday job in any platform newspaper tv yeah so jp were you covering sports at your first job at the newspaper i was um because it was like a small newsroom like we were all news reporters features reporters sports reporters all like in one room together Mm -hmm. I feel like I got a taste for what everybody else did. And I even spent one night on a police scanner, which was wild. But <laughs> the other, the rest of the three years, other than that one night, I was covering mostly high school sports. Yeah. Did you like it? You know what? I like it more now in hindsight because uh -huh. I can appreciate the value of getting all those reps. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But at the time, it's like, why am I not covering Major League <laughs> Baseball, NBA, NFL? Why am I not doing something big, which is why I got into this business to do? Why am I stuck in this small town doing high school sports? Um, I didn't feel that 100% of the time, but at the end of the day, it would be like, I'd get home at like, you know, midnight from my desk mm -hmm. shift, and it would be like, okay when's when, when when's the real stuff coming but like that's the real stuff and right sometimes it takes a while to appreciate that I think that's funny you said in hindsight so I, okay so JP I worked at a small tv station in Abilene Texas for two years and I just moved to Charleston I'm at a bigger tv station now but and I was the weekend sports anchor there and it's I've only so I've only been here a couple of months it's just funny that you say in hindsight because even now like people laugh at me because I like, oh man, I'm, I miss Texas. All we did was high school sports and I loved high school football in Texas and blah, blah, blah. But in the moment when I was there, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of this. Why, <laughs> why am I doing this? And yeah. it's only been a couple months and I'm like, man, I miss that. So that's funny that you say that. I'm kind of the opposite because where I was at the newspapers, like I said, I was the only full-time reporter. So I was covering it all. And so sports were yeah. kind of on the back burner for me. So anytime I got to go to anything, and it was only high school that I was covering when I did cover sports, I was like, yes, finally, this is what <laughs> I want to be doing, you know, because, mm -hmm. I, you know, so many times I was at council meetings, school board meetings, talking about budgets to both of them. And I was just Ew. absolutely <laughs> clueless on all of those things. But it's good that I have that experience now, but also to JP, I think it's good that you say that because I feel like Brienne and I both have heard that. I feel like all people, like we love Samantha Ponder and people like that, and they say that too, like just kind of trust the process and sink your teeth into where you are now. And so I think that just hearing people that we look up to in this industry say that is a big thing for us. So 
we kind of make sure we do that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, think about it this way. What we're really doing in the media is we are asking good questions and hopefully getting good answers. And the only way you can ask good questions and learn what is a good question for one person and possibly a different good question for another is to just get the reps, get the practice. And whether that's a high school football player or whether that's a, you know the accountant for the city or whoever it is you happen to be talking to, it's all about getting the reps with that person right in front of you. Just like sports. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I really, I, I played softball in college, JP, and I, I look at the real life way too much like sports a lot. I'm like, yeah, I got to practice. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I do it way too often. I'm like, you're not playing anymore, Brianne. Back up. This is real world. <laughs> yeah, but I think it all kind of comes full circle. Because, I mean, yeah, we do talk about sports and or going to games and things like that but so much happens behind closed doors and I think I see that now that I've traveled with Matt and seen kind of how a minor league team works and how like all of the pieces have to fit together and I think that's just another unique thing they all have budgets they all have those type of things so I think it's good to know and like you said get those reps so you can kind of understand how it all works yeah sports are a part of the real world. Yeah. The more time you spend around it, like I think the audiences that we serve, um, they follow us on Twitter, they follow us on social media, they read us, they watch us on TV as sort of an escape. Um, but like you said, everything fits together. Like there's... There's budgets, like sports occupies a very real part of the very real world. It's a business, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the longer you spend in it, the more that becomes apparent. Also, too, I'm curious to ask you this because, so, I think now we're living in a different, with social media and the ESPN app or any other app that you have, and you can go on and you can see the score of the game. You can see the play-by-play, -play. obviously a true, real game story is better than checking that app, but I feel like more people now are curious about kind of that behind-the-scenes scenes things or how all of those things work together just because they are constantly checking the score or checking those things, and it's so easily at their hand. Would you say that's right? Definitely. I think... For someone in my position doing what I do, it places more of a premium on being able to get to the bottom of the story that fans couldn't see as fast as you can, and then telling that story as fast and as well as you can. Mm -hmm. Like I can think back to a game last year between the Dodgers and the what was it? It was the Twins. It was an interleague game at Dodger Stadium. And there was a mistake when Paul Molitor tried to make a switch mm -hmm. and he got penalized. Uh, the Twins got penalized where they had to have their left fielder play shortstop or vice versa or something uh, because there was a mistake on the lineup card. Well, the only person who would actually give an honest explanation as to why was the umpire. So I had to wait outside the umpire's room for an hour after that game to talk to the umpire to get an explanation as to what happened. 
And then as soon as that hour was up, I had to run upstairs and write that story. But you couldn't figure that out if you were just watching on TV. Like right. the app didn't say why the mistake happened. The only one who knew was the umpire. So I had to wait there and get the story. That's such a good point because people that that is our that's our responsibility. That's our job to find that angle and those stories to be like, hey, this is what you don't know. It's my job to give you all of the information. Exactly. Which I like that. That's one thing about, I don't know, when I struggle with doing TV versus, because I did writing first, just like in college, you know, not TV, obviously. But you can get so much more in depth. Like we as TV people rely a lot on, and it's, I know it's a joke, but like on newspapers and articles, because y'all have, y'all can go so much more in depth and be so much more specific. Whereas I'm like, here's the base layer of everything, unless I can do an in-depth story, which is not very often, but it's like, here's the gist of what you need to know. And y'all can get the specifics, which is really cool and very interesting for everybody and me. Oh, I was just wondering how, I mean, obviously you're from California and everything, but have you, is baseball your favorite sport or how did you get, is baseball your number one? Yeah, baseball was my number one growing up. I played up until my senior year of high school. It's probably the sport that I, it's definitely the sport that I read the most um, growing up. And it's probably the sport that I know the best. Um, but I covered hockey. I actually covered the NHL oh. for four years before I got put on the Dodger beat. And oh my God, you guys, it's so much fun. It's so much <laughs> fun. Um, hockey players, it's interesting. There's this culture around the sport where... I don't know what it does to hockey players, but they're like the nicest human beings in the world. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So easy to talk to, and they're so happy to have the coverage. Like, even the highest paid NHL player, by and large, will be totally happy to sit down and give you however much time you need after a game, between games, whatever. Um, That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Hard to write about, harder to write about than baseball just because it's such a fast, action-driven sport mm. where the best players are the best because they're the biggest and the strongest and the fastest and they have the best reaction times. Um, and that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, baseball, I feel like there's more nuance. You can go into depth on more things. And for that reason, it's a little bit easier for the reader to get into. Um, mm. But... Every sport that I've covered, even though I probably grew up imagining myself more as a baseball writer than anything else, like every sport that I've covered, I've gained a level of appreciation for. I get that. That makes sense because you're around, so I don't know, you get to be in it. You get to really dive into all the sports when you cover them. You saying about the hockey players, I got to interview my first, so the South Carolina Stingrays are here in the ECHL, yeah. and I got to talk to, interview them for the first time last week. And that is my first thought. I was like, man, these guys are so nice. Like, they were <laughs> they were so easy to interview. Because I was nervous because I hadn't talked to them yet, and they're all much taller than me. And then <laughs> I get out there. They were so nice. I was like, ah, that was great. I'll go talk to them more. <laughs> yeah, and you I should. interned. The best. Yeah, well, and I interned with the Predators when I was going to school in Nashville for two seasons um, with the communication department. And so – 
we went into the locker room after every game to get quotes and just to transcribe for the media if they didn't have time, you know, to hit all of the players that they wanted to. And I 100% agree with you. I was always so blown away with the Predators players, like win or loss, it didn't matter. They were, and so like authentic, I feel like too. I feel like sometimes when you hear interviews with different sports, they're not as authentic about their answers but I don't know something about hockey players they I just feel like they're just also just so authentic with their answers yes Mm -hmm. I'm interested too so when I so I wanted to intern with the Titans truth be told and the we had a professor at Lipscomb that had all of the hookups in the Nashville sports world and he was like Jessica the Titans just cut all of their their internship program And he was like, but I have an intern, or you can intern with the Predators. And I was like, the hockey team? I know nothing about hockey. Nothing. And he was like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I was so nervous. But, I mean, just like you, after being in it, I love hockey so much and have appreciation for it. And I kind of get the gist of it. I can at least tell you the positions and the penalties and things like that. I still don't know the strategies of it as much just because I feel like that just comes with time and it's a natural thing. But so how did you write about hockey if you didn't know that much about it or you just had to learn? Just had to learn. um, I would say like 90% of it. 10% of it came from growing up in the San Jose area and watching Mm -hmm. the Sharks. And not just watching the Sharks, but literally watching them from their inception. Um, I kind of grew up with them. So I watched them from the beginning when they were an expansion team and they won like eight games one year. It was pitiful. (laughs) And, you know, up to when they became one of the better teams in all of hockey. And they have been for really more than 10 years now. Um, So that, that helped. Um, but the other thing too, I feel like in markets like Nashville and like San Jose and certainly South Carolina as well, I feel like there's this top-down attitude within hockey of we have to sell this sport to this market and that mm-hmm. means we might have to teach this sport to this market yeah. as well. So like, like I'm sure, Brianne, if you went up to the Stingrays head coach and said, I don't understand X, Y, and Z. Can you explain this? Like he would give it to you because mm-hmm. he knows. I believe that, that. Yeah. That I don't know it like they do. Right. Probably same thing in Nashville. They were thinking 90% of Nashville does not know hockey. So we're, we're happy to explain it to you if it <laughs> drives up interest. And <laughs> by and large, like that's that was my experience with hockey people. It's like, if you don't know, just ask. We'll tell you. Um, because they're just so happy to have that coverage. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I had our oh head God. intern girl who's still working in hockey now. When I first started interning, she would sit with me at the media table and take different colored Tic Tacs. And that's how she explained the game to me <laughs> was doing it that way. But, um, but yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Um, but it's also funny too. I think um, hockey too, especially in 
Nashville and the I'm sure the other markets that you mentioned, but I got to experience in Nashville. Those fans know, like they know how Mm -hmm. it is and they know when to cheer and they know how the game is being played. But I know too, hearing from, you know, people that have been in Nashville from the start, it was a lot of learning and it was a lot of, hey, come out to hockey because it's fun to watch and they fight. And then along the way, because they still do it now, they'll take um, you know, timeouts or different things or during the intermissions and they'll like put things up on the Jumbotron that kind of explain the game. So I'm sure there was a lot more of that when the Preds first started. I just said I read hockey for dummies. That's how I tried to learn hockey. <laughs> that's a good that's good too, yeah. <laughs> I should have known that book existed. That's great. <laughs> um I, when I covered the Anaheim Ducks one of the guys who was a beat writer early on was telling me this story of one of the first, maybe the first home game at uh, the pond in Anaheim where the ducks were just finishing up a power play. And if you guys have followed hockey, you'll notice that the goalie, when his team is about to lose the power play, he'll bang Mm -hmm. his stick on the ice as a heads up to his teammates, like, hey, dude's about to come out of the penalty box, pay attention. Uh Very first time that the fans in Anaheim saw this, they saw the goalie, they heard the goalie pounding his stick on the ice, and they all stood up and started cheering. And as the writer explained it to me, it was like, oh boy, they've got a lot of learning to do here. That's yeah. like not when you want to cheer for your team. That is not the appropriate moment. No. If you knew what this was, you would know why he was doing it. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. So then from hockey, is that when you got into full full coverage with baseball? Yeah. I. It was kind of interesting. I covered hockey for four years and then... So the, you know, the seasons are offset. Hockey season Mm -hmm. starts in October, spring training in February. And so after my last season on hockey, my sports editor said, "Um, hey, we want you to switch to baseball. Uh, You're going to spring training in February. And I had nothing to do for like, what, four months? And I'm just sort of sitting around looking at my watch, like wondering what's going to happen here. Uh, but eventually, yes, they did send me to spring training. That was 2012, and I've been going back every year since. They haven't told me to stop. <laughs> so you just can keep on, as long as they let you, get to do it. <laughs> exactly. Baseball is my favorite sport. It is my favorite because I played softball, so it's the one I know most. You know, when you play, I think that's one of the things I've struggled most with in sports is I like to know, like, kind of like you were talking about, just like the strategy and everything behind it. So I know baseball. I know the strategy. So when baseball season rolls around and I get to do baseball highlights and do baseball stories, I am. That's when I love covering all the sports. I love covering football. But when I get to baseball, I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's when I feel good. So my dream used to be to just cover. I'm a Braves fan, as is Jessica. I'm sorry if I said that. And I'm not supposed to say that because you're not supposed to be one now. But you were. (laughs) Don't forget that. Um, and I always wanted to cover the Braves, but maybe one day. Growing up as a Braves fan, you probably saw a lot of good baseball. I did. I did get to see some good baseball before the before these years. 
<laughs> going up at Turner Field. Turn- I haven't got to go to the new park yet. I haven't got to go to SunTrust. R.I.P. Turner Field. I know. I know. We just got a Waffle House, too. What'd you say? <laughs> I said we had just got the Waffle House at Turner Field. That's what I thought, you said. I, was, I thought you said Waffle House, but I was like, she did not just say something about Waffle I did. House. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and I briefly looked at your website yesterday. I didn't do the research. I probably should have. I'm sorry. But I know, so you wrote a book. What, why did you write a book? Why did I write a book? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> I wrote a book because it was a combination of opportunity and desire and somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, do you want to write this book? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, my my sister was the connection to the publisher and the publisher of the 50 greatest Dodger games had already published the 50 greatest Red Sox games. Mm. And she happened at the time to be looking for somebody to continue that series with the other teams. And so talking to my sister, the publisher mentioned this. And of course my sister said, well, my brother covers baseball. He covers the Dodgers. Maybe he'd be interested. So they asked me, I said, absolutely. I was kind of surprised that book didn't exist yet before 2015. Uh It's kind of like obvious, right? Like not (laughs) even a blog. There hadn't even been a blog entry for the 50 greatest games. Yeah. So I thought it was a good idea. Of course, I like writing game stories. I love researching like historic baseball factoids and stories and whatnot. So... It was a blast. Can you tell us what the best Dodgers game is, or do we have to buy the book and find out? <laughs> you should buy the book. We should 100%. buy the book. That's fair. I agree with buy that. Buy and read the book. You should. Buy okay, the book. Let, maybe we'll what about let's the... let's rephrase this question a little bit. Maybe <laughs> so there has to be thousands of Dodger games, right? So how did you go? How do you narrow that and, down? Yeah, how do you pick the best fifty? Well, you just go line by line through all 10,000, whatever it is. No. Um, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, no. That sounds like a headache. And I love baseball, but that sounds like a headache. (laughs) That would kill my joy for this boy. Oh, boy. Um, A few ways. First of all, I mentioned to a small handful of people that I was embarking on this project. And a few people who were close to the team had some really good suggestions, and there was a lot of overlap. I generally found that people were recommending, you know, the same handful of like, I don't know, five games that just had to be there at the top of the list. And then talking to more people along the way, you know, another dozen or so revealed itself. And then just from my own memory, there was like a dozen that I was like, hey, didn't this happen? And I look it up and it's like, oh, yeah. And then you find out that like Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run against the Dodgers. And so it's like, well, that's a pretty important game in baseball history. Maybe that should go in. Um, (laughs) There were, you know, the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson winning um, the pennant for the New York Giants. Like that's a 
pretty big game. Happened to come against the Dodgers. That should probably go in somewhere. And then there were maybe, I don't know, at least a dozen that I just didn't even know existed. And I wouldn't have known existed until I had gone to the L.A. Public Library and just started, like, digging and digging and digging. And some really interesting, cool games revealed themselves that way. So, Very, variety of How long did all that take you? Sorry. Oh, man. Two years? That's it? I feel like that's not long at all. <sighs> it felt long. <laughs> I'm sure it did. So that was two years for just the research part to narrow it down before you actually started writing? No, two years start to finish. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, off-seasons are slow. And yeah. spring training actually wasn't a bad time to get it done. Like, I don't know, Jessica, if you'd had this experience, but, like, when you're not at home... There are so many fewer distractions that you find yourself with more free time to like really just focus and be task oriented. I don't know. Uh, that's always my experience in spring training. It's like, I know I'm there to work and it's Phoenix. So, you know, how much is there really to do at, at the end of six weeks? Um, yeah. I'm going to sit down and write a book as soon as I get home from the ballpark. And that's what I did. Yeah. That's very awesome. cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I was expecting you to say, but I was expecting it to be longer. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I think just I was really too. impressed. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask, and I'm sure you've been asked this, but I'm just curious to hear. So, if you were writing the book now, are there any of the 2017 World Series games I would have to go in there? There have to be, right? At least one of them. <laughs> there would have to be at least one of them. Which one, one of, okay, if you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Yeah, oh man, on the hot seat. Um, <laughs> hot takes. <laughs> yeah, maybe game three. Yeah. Three or five, okay. for sure. Yeah. One thing that I did in the book is that I tried to refrain from telling the same stories too often. Because, like, for the Dodgers in particular, there were like a dozen games that you could make a justifiable argument for putting in the top 50 from the 1981 and 1988 seasons alone. But if I'm like going all 81, all 88, I'm telling the same stories about the same people over and over again. And I didn't really want to do that. So I would probably just put one of the two in, uh, if that makes sense. And yeah. then... The one that, as soon as it ended, I was like, this would have to go in the top 50 if I rewrote the book, was the one last year where they, or last year, uh, 2016, where they clinched the West at home mm -hmm. in Vince Scully's final home oh, broadcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Charlie yeah, Culberson yeah, 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 yeah. walked off you homer. <laughs> yeah. So, just kind of backtracking maybe just a little bit, but what I like about kind of your experiences is obviously you're primarily a writer and that's what you do, but you also do appear 
on TV and do TV hits and things like that too. And so since Brian and I are both like have both of those sides, I'm just kind of curious to hear from you what are the best and worst parts of the writing side and then the television side. Hmm. It's easier for me to tout the virtues of writing mm-hmm. <laughs> since that's, yeah. that's, that's my background. I mean, the best part of the writing side, um, Brienne, you said it, is that like we can flesh out interviews and ideas and right. research and reporting in ways that you really can't on TV. Right. Um, there's just no substitute for that, at least for me. I know some people who can do like, there are a couple baseball history podcasts out there that are really good, and I'm not as good in that format, but some people are, and I respect the heck out of that. Uh, for me, if you want to flesh out a topic properly, you got to write it down. Um, mm-hmm. As evidenced by how long it took me to write my book, the downside is that it takes a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, a lot of research. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys know, um, oh shoot, his name is escaping me, Wright Thompson from ESPN. Yes, I don't know him that well, but I know some of some of his stuff. Of he him. might be the best sports writer in the country. And we should he, know him. <laughs> I heard he's from, I think he's from Mississippi. He's all about that southern culture like he's oh cool he's great you guys would like him um, i'm gonna i'm gonna look him up as soon as we're done seriously he like six <laughs> stories i want to look for new things to look like get into and learn more about sports so yeah, yeah. always yeah. Learning. Google do you Ryan like Thompson. when you do tv appearances at all i do i do <laughs> um i like <laughs> the the thing that i really like about it is that for the amount of time I put into it and the amount for which TV folks are compensated, it is really a breath of fresh air for somebody who is accustomed to writer's paychecks. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. The thing that I don't like about it is actually, it's also the thing that makes it great, which is that you don't get do-overs, right? Mm -hmm. You get one shot to choose your words and make them perfect. And there's no delete button. There's no calling up the editor and saying, hey, can you change this? Whatever comes out of your mouth, it's It's out. It's there. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, if you can analyze a sporting event, if you can conduct an interview in a way that does not require do-overs, shoot as a fan i'd i'd rather get that same quality analysis right away on tv than wait for the writer to write his piece and it's probably going to take longer to read that essay or column or recap or whatever um if you're like amazing at that it's a great skill and i'm trying to get better i agree i think that's i mean i'm not i'm so i'm just like I'm a reporter slash anchor. I do not analyze, really. I think one day I'd love to. But I used to be, me and Jessica both used to do play-by-play and color commentary. And that was way more scary to me because I'm like, because one, you're right. When it's out there, it's out there. And two, 
I'm like, I don't have time to plan what I'm going to say or write out my words and write out my script. Cause I like, I like that in what I do. Cause I can make it what I want to say when it's ad living on the fly. I respect those, those people who can do that well and mm-hmm. sound articulate and know what they're saying and be, you know, accurate and intelligent and everything. I'm like, man, that is an art that is impressive. So how did your being on TV first come about? Obviously, you were writing and all of those guys making the decision. It was like, hey, look at this guy. He knows what he's talking about. We need to have him on. <laughs> well. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? That's what I tell myself, at least. <laughs> that helps. That helps. Well, in the case of the Dodgers, I don't know if you guys, I don't know, Jessica, you might have been around when this happened, but 24. 20- 13, the Dodgers started their own TV station. They, they started their own network. And they needed to fill 24 hours worth of programming seven days a week. And they had a somewhat small staff who mostly worked during the season. So during the season, you'll hear Oral Hershiser and Nomar Garcia Parra on TV. And in the studio, <clears throat> Jerry Harrison Jr., Ned Coletti, um, John Hartung, those guys will do the studio show. But during the off-season, not everybody's in town. So who are they going to get to step in and fill in? They first came to the people who were covering the Dodgers and said, hey, do you want to do this in the off-season? And since I was one of those people, they came to me. I managed to... Not suck the first time, I guess. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, all in the eye of the beholder. I Sometimes when I look back at the first clips that I did like four or five years ago, it's like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Was it hard to watch yourself or hear yourself? Because I still think that's hard. It's still hard. <laughs> it's, it's still hard. Like, I don't like, sound like that. If you look at any of my clips, this is the scary part. Brianne, you got to help me with this. So <laughs> I I blink like five times a second when I am talking on the television. And I have I no idea why. That. God I didn't notice it. that if it makes you feel any better. It does. Um, I notice it and it scares me. Like I'm scared watching myself. I'm like, why is this guy blinking so much? What is he about to do? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm going to go look. I need to <laughs> I want to see. Well, now it's going to be the only thing you can see. I know. Now yeah. I'm going to be looking for it. Now, okay, I have I, I know what you got to do. You okay. just got to strain your eyes like you're in a staring contest. That is not what you <laughs> <laughs> That will make you look scary. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know. I wonder if it's just like I mean, everybody has like one, like they're nervous. Like when I, my nervous thing I think on TV is I rub my hands together, which is weird. Hmm. And I noticed it a lot lately. I'm like, what are you, why are you doing that? I wonder if it's just like the one nervous thing you don't notice. And you just gotta. So my question is this (laughs) Do you accept that there is going to be a nervous thing and you try to channel that energy somewhere inconspicuous? Or can you fight it and win? I think you can fight it and win because I've seen enough people that are really, really good at TV and they don't, in my eyes, they don't have anything that they do weird. And then I watch me and I'm like, why well, right, she's doing, that's weird. Why is she doing that? So, and okay. I try, I try really, well, I try not to like to focus on not 
I guess for my for my hand thing, I always try to hold something in my hands mm. to make sure I'm not doing that weird thing. So I feel like if you could find, I don't know about blinking though. I don't know what don't you know can't like. I, I got to think about that one. But I feel like, I think you can beat it. I think it's with a bit of practice and just like comfortability. Okay. I guess I don't know. I because I think you can. I'm gonna keep fighting. You can. You can do it. Thank you. I gotta fix you know my hand. I'm now now I'm really aware of it. <laughs> I'm just gonna play devil's advocate and I just say you own it. You just wear it. You know, you you are who you are. You you can't you can't help it. So people are just gonna have to accept it. If you say the right thing and you know what you're talking about and you're providing good insight, you know, that's all the people care about. Well, they keep having me back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so it's not it's not, it's not like so, so it's not it's not, a it's not thing. the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's not that's my thing. If you want to fix it, I think you can. If not, I do agree with that. It's just like, all right, as long as you're doing your job, whatever. Because <laughs> I feel yeah. like both of those things, the blinking and the hand rubbing, I feel like both of those aren't... <laughs> That's not... Sorry. But I feel like both of those aren't super distracting. Because what my thing is, is I overuse my hands. But it's like overusing. And so I know that's distracting. And so I feel like as long as it's not something super distracting, then it's it could well, be the hand worse. thing. I think the hand thing is tough because particularly when you're standing on camera and mm -hmm. people are seeing you, like what are you supposed to do with your hands? Like, <laughs> yeah, they're just hanging <laughs> that there. That's a hard thing. Oh yeah, I've got told. I know I use my hands too much, re like really bad when I first started. And I, I'm doing it right now. Like I use my hands when I talk. I too. As we were on the podcast, Which my is, hands were going crazy. I know. I was that's, like, jeez. Yeah, that's why when I, I mean, they told me to fix that, you know, hold something and then just, and I, the more comfortable, the more relaxed I get, the less aggressively I move my hands, I guess. So I, I think, I don't know exactly. I just know you got to relax. I, I'm really bad at advice, apparently. I just keep well, saying relax because that's what people keep telling me. <laughs> If this makes you feel better, and I would challenge you to challenge me on this if it isn't true, but just, I think if you watch carefully, it's more acceptable in our society for women to use their hands when speaking than for men. Like, men have to just be stoic, hands folded, behind the back, something. But, like, women, by and large, talk with their hands more, and I don't think anybody notices. Like, I don't notice. I don't care. But, I like, if you that. see it dude talking with his hands it's like what's this what dude doing, doing? I can that's do interesting that. I've never thought about that because you're saying like just in everyday life exactly. like you yeah. see a girl and a guy at a coffee shop and she's talking with their hands in oh uh, that's interesting I've never thought of it like that I do I know I've knocked over many a drinks when I'm eating and having a conversation <laughs> with somebody <laughs> I do it all the time <laughs> like what why is she as bad <laughs> So no, I could see that and just more. So JP, maybe yeah. kind of the last thing here, I know you were out here for spring training for a little bit and I think you were with like doing with the angels a lot too, right? And the Dodgers. I filled in for our traveling angels, angels beat writer for five days and then our traveling Dodger beat writer for six days. Okay. That's, that okay. was my spring training this year. So besides that, Matt Beatty shouldn't have been cut from big league camp. What was your biggest <laughs> takeaway from spring training? 
I'll, I'll give you two. Okay, number one, the first day I was in Dodger camp, I sat down with Brandon Gomes, who is uh-huh. the new farm director, and we talked about all of the people that I should watch in the Dodgers system who haven't reached the big leagues yet, and that was definitely one of them. We Woo! talked nice. about how... Let's go! Yeah, we talked about how he has positional versatility, and that is something the Dodgers have really prided themselves on, especially under Andrew Friedman. There's always somebody, like, shooting up the system who can play, like, five positions, it seems. And maybe maybe that's the guy this year. I don't know. Uh, Brandon didn't exactly try to dissuade me from that idea. So uh, that, well, ho, ho. that that's really nice. happened. Um, <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> that really true story. <laughs> that happened. Um, other story. I mean, it's so it's so similar to last year's team that the couple guys, and I mean a couple, who are new this year really stand out. It's like, what is Matt Camp doing here again? I am stunned that he is back as a Dodger. I never thought huh. that would happen. Yeah. But he is hitting like he's, like it's 2011 um Dang. and then yeah it's just such a similar team to last year similar vibe it's like it's it's tough as a writer when there isn't as much new ground to cover um so the Matt Kemp thing really stood out to me that he's back and he's playing like he did when he was just a, a young pup coming up through the system well, yeah, because he, he, he does look really good, but also, too, I think it's kind of because he's playing for a spot, like, or he's yeah. trying to, you know, prove his worth, because that's just, like, the Dodgers, they're going to have to send a Jock Peterson or an Andrew Tolls, like, someone is going to be going to AAA that everyone in OKC is going to be like, what are they doing here, yep. <laughs> you know, so I think a lot of them, um, like, the newer pieces or, like, Tolls coming back from, from an injury, they're all trying to prove that they should be there, whether they're a veteran or not. Exactly. Is there any other advice or thing that you would tell us that you didn't already share? You know what That's struck true. me from your first podcast is that oh, no. <laughs> you guys know and love your college football. Like that. <laughs> That's true. I'm like, okay, sports podcast, open mind, here we go. And then it's like, oh my God, I, first of all, okay, growing up in the Bay Area, college football is not a thing. Like, it's yeah. not a thing. I'm not okay. going to pretend that it's a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> um, like, we have Cal, we have Stanford, but they're really niche sports. Like, that's it. The, the alumni route for those teams, and they support them, and that's about it. Like... It's a very dynamic population, people moving in and out of the Bay Area for tech jobs and whatnot. And if you didn't go to Cal and Stanford, you do not care for the Cal and Stanford football team. So the first episode of your show was probably the most college football I have digested in a one-hour sitting in years. Like years. (laughs) Um, It was great. So I would say lean into that. Like, seriously, you guys know your stuff. You're clearly passionate about it. And have, like, have like a college football minute or, like, a college football five minutes on every podcast because you guys, 
are really good at that. Well, oh, thank you. Thanks. You're yeah. welcome. Um, okay, so good. there was one thing, a couple of people, Brie, and I haven't even shared this with you, but oh, no. so a couple of people <laughs> want more dog talk. Oh they, my goodness. Yes, because they're saying, that. you know, you get tired of, um, and I know it's not like sports related, but I thought if we could ask every guest about their dog or if they, so JP, do you have a dog or did you have a dog growing up? I didn't. I have, I, it, fate has dealt me cats throughout my <laughs> oh, life. Oh, so you're a cat guy. Okay. I've got cats. There's nothing wrong hey. with cats. That's okay, Matt. Yeah, Matt wants... We have a cat. My parents have a cat. Um, I grew up with just a cat, and Matt wants it. I just said cat a lot of times in a row. But Matt also wants a cat eventually, but I refuse huh. to travel with a dog and a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so I've they'll been have a, to wait. I've only been around um, my grandparents' farm cat. Really? If you do, <laughs> Jessica, if you do get a cat, uh, all I'm going to say is that Matt Latos had a cat named Cat Latos. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so unless we can come up with That's a name amazing. that it's good as that, we can't get a cat. cat. <laughs> Just throwing it out cat. <laughs> Okay, JP, tell all the people where they can find you on the socials. Yes. The socials. I am at JP Hornstra, H-O-O-R-N-S-T-R. A on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Everywhere. It's easy. Keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> and All then right. you can find me, Jessica, at Jessica with one S underscore Beatty on all of them. And then you can also follow the blog at dreams in just the letter in seams.com. And I am... Brienne, well, I'm not, why, well, my name is Brienne, my Twitter is at, <laughs> my Twitter is at bwelch15, because 15 was my college softball number, and I can't let it go. you got to say that every single time you give out your Twitter handle. That has People to be the punchline every single time. <laughs> People ask me why I'm 15, they're like, oh, was, was that like your number as a kid? And I'm like, nope, college number, love it. <laughs> And as always, we're very coachable people, so yes. you can reach out to us. Let us know what you didn't like, what you liked, what you want to hear more of, and we'll try our best to provide and then we will ignore the negativity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, JP. Thanks for having me. Until next time.